This is Season 3 of Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. In Seasons 1 and 2 of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing and how to put those concepts into action. If you haven't listened to those first two seasons, we invite you to start there. Chad Moyer with you. It is time for our next episode of Grain IQ. This is a partnership of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association and the Nebraska Soybean Board. My name is Chad Moyer. Today I am joined by two market experts. We have Darren Newsom. He is a senior market analyst with Bar Chart. And also beside us here today is Wade Stevens. He is a grain market advisor with the ARC Group. Uh, they are based in Lincoln, but uh, Wade does a lot of work in uh, western Iowa and, and eastern Nebraska. So a, a couple of locals, Darren, of course, uh, based out of the uh, Omaha area, uh, and uh, we're going to kind of pick their brain what's going on here uh, as we speak here uh, in the first day in the first day of March. So, uh, Darren, I'm going to start with you. Um, maybe we can just talk about uh, since it is uh, it, it has been a storyline, right? The the grains fell quite a bit at the beginning of the week. Um, what was the impetus of the sell-off that we saw at the beginning of the week? Do you think? All right, appreciate the question, Chad. And, and as you said earlier, this is going to be interactive. So think of it as an old time play where people would boo and hiss, you know, at the, at the bad guys and they'd cheer for the good guys and so on. Uh, I'm used to that, so it, it's a lot of fun. Um, as far as what we've seen so far, you know, close out February uh, and start off in March, you know, what really happened at the end of last week is in both corn and soybeans, we saw, say, the May contract and, you know, for both and the new crop contracts and so on. They took out some key support levels. And I know these are technical, technical support levels. But what it looked like to me is that it triggered some of that algorithm selling that we all love to talk about, read about, and so on. Uh, and it was a pretty heavy amount. We saw a lot of contracts changing hands. We saw, we saw some spikes in trade volume both Thursday and Friday, Wednesday as well. Uh, and so what it looked like is we had these sellers come in and it just drove prices down because the commercial side, while still bullish for both markets, we know supply and demand is still tight for both markets. They didn't have, they didn't have to do anything. So as the algorithms are selling and they're just feeding themselves and it's just knocking it down further and further and further, then we get to a day like today where we had May corn get close to 620 and corn likes round numbers and we saw the commercial buying come back in. Soybeans, we saw it drop, I don't know, however many cents it dropped again you know, this morning. Uh, but then, you know, at some point the buyers came back in and we could see that by the way the spreads reacted. And so then we get caught up in a vacuum. There's nobody selling on top. You've got the commercial buyers coming back in and it spikes back up. Does this mean the long-term lows are in? No. We've still got long-term downtrends across the board, but it does at least change the mood going into, you know, into Wednesday afternoon and, and Thursday morning. All right, so Wade, let me ask you this. Uh, there, there had been a gap in information about the funds. You know, we, there were a, a quite a few uh, uh, reports or a few weeks that went by where we didn't know where the funds sit. And we know in the past, funds were a, a big player in what happens in the grain markets. Was that significant that we didn't have that information to understand what their opinion of the market was? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough question to answer. And, and I think the answers will unfold as time comes uh, and goes. You know, we're, we're still flying blind as far as CFTC reports, as far as what the funds are doing, where the commercials are. I think the latest data is, is from January 31st. So that, in my opinion, that's, that's ancient. Um, that kind of data is, is 
is worthless in my opinion. Um, I'm not sure what their schedule is to get back on track, but when they do get back on track, we'll find out what they did through the month of February, specifically that last five trading days of February when we lost 50 cents in corn and 50 cents in soybeans. And that will you know, paint the picture of, of what the summer or what the spring and summer might look like as far as fund activity. Darren, do you think that we can surmise from like what you were talking about those algorithmic trading? Is that an indication of where funds are at? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we look at the trends, and funds set the trend. A lot of people cringe when I say that as well. But funds set the trend. That's why you don't want to get crossways with the trend. You're going to get run over by the funds. So we can see: Are they buying or selling? What's the flow of money into or out of a market? And we could see that that's what was going on. The CFTC reports are government reports, so you can take that for what it's worth. And they just usually confirm what we already know by tracking, uh, tracking, uh, uh, tracking the trends. So, you know, we can, we can, again, use them to confirm, we can use them to talk about and things like that. But we can also see what's happening just by watching, you know, how futures are moving, how the spreads are moving, and how basis moves. That pretty much gives us, you know, everything we need to know about who's doing what. Wade, is there anything that you'd like to add about what we saw with the trade, you know, at the end of last week and going into this week? And, and maybe even, you know, as we uh, uh, sit here on a, on a Wednesday, bit of recovery, especially in soybeans. Anything else to add to what we've seen so far here? Yeah, I mean, to first add to Darren's point, um, I mean, we have an idea what the fund activity uh, was or what the commercial activity was in the last 30 days or 28 days through, through the month of February. Um, Private companies put out what they call player sheets, what they think happened each day um, of trading. So if you're able to track those, um, you can have an idea uh, based off those numbers and based off what the trade has done as far as price action on what those funds did. All right, uh, I'll throw it out to, uh, maybe Wade, we'll start with you. Um, uh, update from South America as, as to what we're seeing now. Um, uh, you know, it's been dry in Argentina, right? It's, uh, they've been getting rains in Brazil. It seems like Brazil, the rains are affecting the Safrina corn crop planting. To what degree, I guess, is the question. Uh, what are you watching in, in South America? What's the situation with that right now? Yeah, it's, it's definitely two ends of the spectrum. You've got Argentina, they've been dry, uh, severe drought um, throughout the, the planting and growing season. You know, if you look back when they were trying to get that crop in, the crop was actually planted late because there, there was a lack of moisture. Um, the farmers were afraid to, to plant seed into dry dirt and, and risk uh, not, not having germination. So it started off, uh, started off late, um, started off dry, it's still dry. They had a frost scare in, in some areas there. So that crop continues to go backwards. If you're looking at estimates you know, on, on a given day or, or the weekly estimates that come out from different, uh, different private companies or different government entities, it's a race to see how low they can go. Um, they're just every week the, the number just backs up even further and then you've got Brazil. Uh, Brazil is wet. Um, they've got a phenomenal crop coming on. Yes, it's not what it could have been, but it is, uh, it's a big crop. It's going to be a record by a wide margin. Um, like last year the, the record was 139.5 uh, million metric tons. This year's probably going to be over 150 million metric tons. So they're trying to get that uh, soybean crop harvested. It, it is behind because of the, the wet conditions. And then they're trying to plant that second crop corn behind that, uh, and that is delayed. Um, so we could see some yield 
or total, pro, uh, total crop production estimates on that corn crop continue to, to back up because that crop is late. Uh, if you're looking at the largest, you know, the largest producer down there is uh, the Mato Grosso area. They're about 20% planted on that second crop corn. So if things work out, you know, ideally, they're still going to be planting about 50% of that crop after the ideal planting window. And as you guys know, uh, here in the Midwest, you know, as you go day by day after that ideal window, yield drops off pretty significantly. Okay. Uh, curious, Darren, uh, do, you, uh, do you view uh, ag rural reports or grain exchange reports out of Brazil with the same sort of enthusiasm you do USDA? Oh, absolutely. The, the, <laughs> the absolute same love that I have for USDA, I, I share around the world. I'm not, I'm not biased in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they're, they're all the equivalent of, of zero. Um, but so, yeah. what, so what is your update? What are you watching in, in South America, Brazil, and Argentina? You know, really, I am watching the weather, and I'm watching the overall markets. And, you know, the thing that really grabbed my attention, first I want to go back to, to one thing Wade said. You know, he talked about Argentine uh, soybean producers. They didn't want to plant in the dirt because it was dry. Obviously, it brought to mind something my dad said. Argentina could certainly have learned from this, plant in the dust, and the bins will bust. You know, obviously, they didn't follow that advice. Uh, now they're having all kinds of problems. But, you know, if we look at what happened to U.S. export inspections this past week, it was a 56% drop week to week. So that's not, that is significant. I mean, this is the time of year that begins to happen. So what do I watch for these, for the soybean, you know, crops in Brazil and so on? I'm still looking at long-term uh, future spreads for, mostly for the U.S. It's like I'm going out to the new crop, say, Novjan and so on. But for the immediate, I, you know, I've been watching the March-May spread. March went into delivery here yesterday, or today, or yesterday, excuse me. And we've watching the May-July. It's still inverted. So I know everybody is talking about, oh, Brazil's going to have a record crop. We're going to raise more beans, and the world knows what to do with. The spread is still inverted. F basis is still running stronger. U.S. basis is still running stronger. This tells us not only the, the immediate situation with the U.S., but what's going on with, with Brazil? Yes, Wade's absolutely right. The crop is big, but it's getting smaller as it continues to get rained on. We are seeing beans make it to port. Brazilian shipments are big. They're replacing some in the U.S. The bottom line hasn't changed. The U.S. is tight on soybeans. That's not going to change. It hasn't changed. We still have to crush some soybeans. Argentina is the world's largest crusher and exporter of soybean meal. That has to be replaced. So there is still demand for U.S. beans. We just have to work our way through some of the selling that we've seen. Market, the market's telling us itself that it's still bullish. And now it looks like we're not going to get the increase in acres needed to sufficiently rebuild the U.S. supplies setting up to be a very interesting 23-24. Yeah, we'll talk about the de that demand in, in, in just a minute, but uh, to kind of hang on this, at what point does rain in Brazil start to affect the Safrina corn crop? And, uh, you know, the later you go, the closer to the dry season you get it. At what point does that become an issue? I think it already is. It is. Again, because, you know, we can look at, you know, again, if we look at the U.S. market, it's not bearish. Fundamentally, it's not bearish. There's still demand for U.S. corn. And we, st and we still see that, you know, it's not being replaced completely. The problem is 
you know, we're using it ourselves. We've got domestic demand. We're not seeing our export. Now, the argument up until this month was we didn't have the corn to export to begin with. And, you know, then the safrina crop was going to take over and we just weren't going to export anything. Now we're still not exporting. The safrina crop's running behind, but it hasn't changed the fundamental situation in soybeans, excuse me, in corn. And so I think it's going to get interesting. I think it already is playing a role. I think that's where some of the algo selling has been coming from because they've been, you know, so often they're tied to headlines. Uh, but I think the bigger picture is when we step back and look at the fundamentals, they really haven't changed that much. Okay. Uh, is there time yet, Wade, do you think, to make up some, um, some space or some ground in our corn exports? Uh, or do you think that ship has left port, if you don't mind the pun? <laughs> No, I, th I think there still is time. Uh, you know, that first corn crop, that's that's pretty well baked in, and, and those exports are, are moving out of uh, ports in, in Brazil. The second crop, the later it gets, the smaller it gets, the longer our window for a U.S. crop gets. So, you know, typically our, our program starts to run out of steam, you know, this time in the spring and the summer. But if that crop continues to be delayed, we are the market. If, if the world needs corn, the U.S. is the market and, and will continue to, to export, export corn. Now, Darren, we're not that far behind on soybeans, right? Uh, a chance to make that up before the end of the marketing year, you think? Actually, our soybean exports have been running ahead of last year's pace. So I think my last calculation was something like 2.2 billion bushels. And last year, we, you know, we, we shipped, we reportedly shipped 2.1 uh, billion bushels. So, I mean, that's still good. We've still got sales on the books. Uh, we haven't seen many cancellations. We haven't seen anything like that, at least to this point. So yeah, you know, if we can maintain this pace uh, with soybean shipments in the way, and as long as it continues to rain in Brazil, you know, we've got a good chance that, uh, that we could get, again, we could extend our soybean uh, shipping period. But it does, you know, eventually all good things come to an end. And as soon as all the, the bulk of that harvest comes in it in Brazil, and then what do we have once that happens? We have something as seasonal as the sparrows returning to Capistrano. The dock workers in Brazil are gonna go on strike, without a doubt. <laughs> happens every year, gonna happen again. And that'll give us really our last kick in our exports because it's after that, once they work all that out, they get their whatever raise for the year, they go back, all the ships are steaming out of Brazilian ports, and the U.S. gets forgotten about. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah, and if it's not the dock workers, it's the truckers that bring it to port, exactly, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> the trucker strike, there you go. Um, so Wade um, basis has been a big item of discussion, in the West, especially in the Western Corn Belt this marketing year, right? Um, what are you seeing with, with basis, and how, do, uh, how is that affecting the cash price for commodities that we have in hand right now? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking at basis, it's been a huge storyline this year. Um, Phenomenal levels, historic levels. Uh, they yes, they have backed off, but they continue to, to be strong. The, the the end users continue to need your crops, and they're paying up to get them. Um, where we sit here today on in Omaha, we're kind of on the line, uh, a little bit west of the line, I guess. But you know, east of here, you had good crops. You had um, good rains, good crops. Uh, eastern central to, to eastern Iowa, Illinois, uh, I believe was a record or darn close to a record. Um, as far as corn, so so they're not seeing the same levels that we are here today. Um, if you go further west, where the crops really, really suffered, um, astronomical basis levels. You know, dollar fifty, dollar seventy-five, dollar eighty over in Dodge City, Kansas, uh, south uh, southwest Nebraska, same levels around here. You know, around the Thanksgiving time, we uh, put in our peak. Uh, you know, 
96 over, I think was 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 I heard uh, was paid. So we are seeing some levels back off, but overall demand remains strong. They continue to want your crops and the, they continue to pay up for it. Uh, but, but keep in mind that you know we're about ready to plant a crop here. That crop's going to start growing, and and they want to pay as little as they can for your crops. So every day that passes is, is one day closer to new crop grain, uh, new crop grain coming online and, and fulfilling their needs. So it, it's most likely going to continue to see pressure moving through the spring and summer. So if that basis is backing off, is that a signal? Should we be doing something, trying to accomplish something now with grain that's left in the bin? Uh, absolutely. I think so. In my opinion, I think... Um, what we're staring at today is is, is, is darn good levels, and I, I don't see why not moving some grain, especially with uh, with interest rates the way they are. You know, a bushel of grain in the bin is is expensive. Um, you know, at seven, eight, nine percent operating notes. I know not everybody carries operating notes, but it is costly to to carry your grain in bins. Um, so I think absolutely, um, most likely. Uh, the, the case that plays out is we continue to see pressure moving through the spring and in the summer as the crop develops. There is the other story that could develop and that's a, that's a U.S. crop failure. If we do have a U.S. crop failure, who knows what could happen. Um, you know, a $1.50 or $1.80 over might look cheap. So uh, there's always that possibility, but odds are we will grow a crop and odds are we'll continue to pressure those basis, uh, basis levels. All right. Uh, Darren, let's go uh, final, I, I guess, kind of closing thoughts. What do you want to make sure this group knows about old crop? Grain that we have in the bin, uh, what, are, what are the keys you're watching? What are, what are you suggesting, or at least what should folks be looking at to market grain that's still in the bin? All right, let's go back to the old saying, next time it hits $8, let's all sell, okay? <laughs> um, I think that'd be a good plan. Right now, I, I agree with what Wade said. We gotta really watch. If we can lock in some bases in here, I think, I think that's a good idea. Because it, there's a good chance that it, you know, it may not weaken dramatically, but it could weaken, and it may not get much stronger. Again, we have to watch, particularly on the western corn belt or the western fringe of the corn belt. Uh, there's just still a very tight supply situation, and so you know, unless feed uh, the cattle on feed, which is expected to come down, actually does come down, feed demand starts to slip. Ethanol demand does, or ethanol demand stays steady, and export demand stays, you know, continues to slide then we could start to see that basis really come under pressure this second half of the marketing year. So we've got to be careful with that. But if I'm still holding some grain, don't necessarily want to sell it here because we saw what happens today when commercial traders get interested. They, they, they rallied the market a quick eight cents in the blink of an eye. This could happen. We've sold this thing off pretty good. If the non-commercials are done and the commercial traders are getting back in, they could push this market. And as long as basis stays firm, that's going to give us a pretty good opportunity. So I want to I want to clean it up this spring. Wade is exactly right. Every day brings us closer to the new crop. You know, somewhere someone's going to be harvesting corn, you know, late summer, midsummer, whatever it might be. So that's going to start working its way into the market. So take advantage of it. Don't necessarily just unload it right now. You might want to lock in your basis. I do think there's going to be some spring summer opportunities for better prices. All right, Wade, what's your thought on old crop? Again, grain in the bin, final takeaways or uh, keys to watch. Yeah, exactly uh, what Darren said. Basis, uh, taking uh, advantage of that opportunity. In this type of futures environment where we sit today, yeah, we saw a bounce today, but 
you know, losing 50 cents in, in five trading sessions. That's, that's, that's a tough environment for me to sell into. I do understand there's always risk uh, that could be a, another five days of 50 cents even lower than we are today. I mean, there's always that risk under underlying these futures markets, but this kind of environment, this kind of selling activity that's that's been happening um, in these futures markets, I would think there'd be better days. Okay. All right, now guys, let's transition to kind of a new crop focus. And, and Darren, I'll start with you, uh, because we are, and it's not uncommon, right, that the new crop is inverted to the old crop, right? But I, I it seems like a lot more to me than maybe in years past. What are you watching in new crop grain marketing relative to where we sit today? The biggest thing is, and you're right, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we see that inverse in the old crop, new crop, and, and a year like this year it really highlights the fact, you know, when we have a tight old crop supply and demand situation, it enhances that inverse. In other words, where the old crop is higher priced because while they are they have the same name let's say they're both soybeans it's like oranges and tangerines there's the they're similar but they're different they're the same family but new crop soybeans has its own supply and demand situation so much of that's going to depend on what happens again in south america and you know how what what we actually wind up getting planted and you know spring summer weather and so on now on the the continuous monthly chart for november beans it's still in a downtrend the risk is that we could go out, we could go take out that July low. I just posted what it was this morning and I've already forgotten, that's called age. Um, but I can go back and I can look that up. It does look like it should continue to go lower. But if we're going to see one of the new crop markets supported, I think it's going to be beans over corn because corn did do the work. Deese corn did do the work to buy acres away over, you know, since last September. So on the corn market, it's going to be real interesting. We saw it get down to something like five, uh, 562 or something like that today, five, 564. The key price in corn, these corn is 561 and three quarter. If it moves below that, then we got to look at the round numbers, 560. It takes 560 out. It opens the door to 540. That's where these corn could go if it continues to slide. If it stops at 560, fine. Could work its way back higher. We, would, we, we should still see some sort of weather premium built into this market. You know, we're gonna see some weather events and so on, but that's the risk. And if we, you know, if we follow the track of what happened in 2014, after the three-year drought and then the 13-14 marketing year when everything fell apart, the 20 to 24 has been closely tracking that same path. Not exactly, but closely tracking. So there is a risk that we could see Dease corn and cash corn both continue to come down. If so, it just means we got more acres and we've got better weather. All right. Um, USDA had its outlook forum last week. Uh, any uh, wait? Any thoughts? Uh, I, I get. I feel like we all knew what USDA said. So either people aren't paying attention, or they were ignoring it, or they're naive. Uh, but what, what do you think uh, about the outlook forum, the upcoming planning intentions, things like that? As far as uh, what we're going to plant this spring and, you know, what these reports say, what uh, you as farmers, you know, what you turn in uh, on your surveys um, that'll come out at the end of the month on what you're going to plant this coming spring. I mean, it, it's a moving target. It will continue to be a moving, uh, moving target, in my opinion, up until fall or even January of next year. Um, we've, seen those mover, we've seen those numbers fluctuate significantly from March 31st to, to where we finish out the year. So. I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in the, in the acres numbers. Um, 
because I, I do believe they change. I, I think they what they put out there last week was, was kind of consensus. I think everybody agreed with, with those numbers, you know, a little bit heavier on corn and lighter on or similar acres than, than last year on, on beans. Uh, on the yield though, the yield, that's, that's going to be a hot topic. Um, they posted a trend line yield of 181.5. We've never accomplished that. Um, I'm not saying it's not possible, you know, the, with genetics today, anything's possible in my opinion, but um, it, it's going to take a lot of, a lot of things to happen right, uh, a lot of things to happen at the right time to accomplish a, a 185 in my opinion. I see Darren just foaming at the mouth, and this is why I set it up like that, because I know he's going to bet his entire portfolio on what USDA says, oh. but <laughs> what I guess why, and I know you don't, but why not? Why, why, does, uh, why, why don't planning intentions mean anything? Why don't, why don't they, those things work? Okay, we could go out and we could poll everybody in this building. I did this for fun in the newsroom back when I was back in the newsroom. I sent out a poll to everybody in the newsroom, and most of them had no idea what I was talking about. I said, send me a number. And so they did. And that's what I put down for our official guests. And that's really the process. It's a bunch of economists sitting in one room saying, okay, what do you got this year? What works out in the math? It doesn't necessarily have to make sense, and it doesn't necessarily have to fit with anything else. And as Wade said, it's going to change. But this is the economist view. And one thing we all know about economists, if you put 12 of them together, you're gonna to get 13 opinions. That's just the way it is. I'm proud to not be an economist. So it, there, there's no validity to them whatsoever. We can look at the market. I always say this all the time. We can look at the market and see exactly what's going on, what the market's telling us it believes, and what's more important, honestly, what's more important, a government agency filled with economists, putting together the pieces of paper that say X, or a market made up of all the folks who are actively involved in buying and selling cash grain, knowing what they need, and showing us in the marketplace through futures trends, through future spreads, through basis, I know which side I'm gonna come in on. It's not that complicated. How do you really feel? Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> um, but let's go back to, I think you brought it up before, and I, I want to make sure we talk about this demand discussion, mm -hmm. uh, because it is, I think it is going to be a case for the new crop uh, marketing conversation, right? What, what are the demand lines going into the next marketing year, the 23-24 marketing year that could have an impact? Soybeans, I think, is going to stay strong. Uh, a lot of it's going to depend on what happens here the second half of the marketing year for 22-23. But it looks like right now we should still continue, we should see a continued strength between supply and demand. In corn, I'm a little bit concerned because there's three legs of domestic corn demand. There's feed, and I think that's gonna come down in 23. There's ethanol, could stay stable, may lose a little bit of ground here in 23 as well. And exports, I'm concerned about exports. You know, at time, in time, we could see the second, Safrina, the second corn crop out of Brazil start to replace U.S. corn. But, Again, we may not just have the bushels to export right now. So as we go into 22, uh, excuse me, as we go into 23, 24, we may have to rebuild some of those relationships. We may have to find a way to start shipping some corn to some of these older customers again. That could be a little bit difficult. So this marketing year, I think, finishes off with some question marks. And I think those same question marks carry over into 23, 24. And if we have more acres and better production, all of a sudden our supply and demand makes that change that we saw 
similar to 1314. Wait, let's talk about one of the legs that he just mentioned. That's livestock. Um, because, you know, the mama cow herd is coming down. That's very obvious in, sorry, the government numbers, but it's, it is showing itself, right, in, in multiple ways. Um, uh, egg production is down. That's being reflected at the consumer level, right? Total animal mouths to feed seem to be going down. Uh, so what, what's your take on what's going on in livestock right now? Yeah, as far as livestock, you know, the, the cattle industry, it's going to take some time to rebuild that. You know, we've got a lot of pasture around that, that needs to, to heal um, from the drought um, of last summer. And that's going to take time. It's going to take time to, to build those herds back up if you're looking at the, the western uh, corn belt. Uh, as far as the poultry industry, we have seen that they can turn that around very, very quickly. Um, it does not take long for them to, to get back to, to similar numbers that they were. But the overall trend, um, yes, Chad, is is the number of mouths to feed today is, is less than a year ago. And it, it's a growing concern if you're looking at the feed and residual numbers on both uh, corn and beans. As far as the cattle go, that's the one that's going to take the longest to turn around, isn't it? Yes, correct. Yep. And, and why is that? I mean, kind of walk me through that quick. It's, it's just the, it's the process to, to take a cow um, to calve. Um, all the way till you know till it hits that packer. You know, it's it's a timeline that, that can't be sped up. Um, it can't be multiplied. It can't be uh, enhanced. You know, in any way. As, you know, like poultry. Uh, you know, if you're if you're looking at poultry to, to boost your numbers, you can you can do that relatively easily. Same with pork. You can you know multiply your numbers relatively easily. Yeah, but Darren, we're going to have to watch this poultry thing, right? Because uh, it, it start, it's happened two seasons now. The migrating wild bird population, as that goes across Iowa, Nebraska, and other poultry-producing states, that could have an impact again, couldn't it? Yeah, it certainly could. I mean, this is, again, becoming a, I hate to say it's becoming a seasonal issue, but it certainly looks like that. As you said, we've seen it the last two years, and there's nothing to say that it can't happen a third year. So, yeah, it's certainly something we have to keep an eye on. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I guess kind of where do we where do we want to go from here? Um, what are what are the keys uh, if if we are um, if we like pre-marketing uh, you know pre-harvest marketing of our grain? Um, what are the keys, Darren? Do you think to um, to put should we be putting a floor? Um, uh, should we be protecting? Oh, maybe before we do that, let's come back to crop insurance because we we just got done with the the month discovery period. Does that crop insurance number at 590 corn and 1376 beans, does that give us any power in our marketing plan? Um, I mean, I could be very cynical and I surprise everybody by doing that and saying that, you know, farming is, you know, when you get down talking about you're just farming for insurance prices and so on, you know, what's the point? Is that just farming for the government and so on? Uh, it, it's something folks are looking at. Uh, you know, the corn number 591 versus 590 last year, not a lot of difference. Soybeans, 57 cents less. Is that enough to really change anyone's mind? No, I don't think anyone's going to change their opinion on what they're going to plant uh, in 23 based on that. And I don't know that it actually changes our marketing uh, plans at all. I mean, if you've got some sales on from, you know, from way back now in both 23 contracts of Deese corn, no beans, you're sitting pretty good. If you're looking to do some more, I wouldn't do it now. Let's see if this thing can bottom out and get some weather uh, this spring and summer, see what happens and get a better price. Uh, so I think we're going to have some opportunities. I don't know that the insurance price alone is going to be what the determining factor. 
Okay, and I might come back to say what is that in just a moment, but I know, Wade, you guys at ARC Group, you do use uh, crop insurance as a base, right? That helps with your getting going on your averaging and things like that. Does, does Do those insurance numbers offer any power in your mind? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's an insurance policy. It gives you a worst case scenario. The, the way we like to use it is it gives us a number that we can be comfortable with marketing. You know, if you've got an 80% 80 policy on corn and your APH is 200 bushel an acre, we are able to market 80% of that 200 bushel per acre comfortably knowing that you've got an insurance policy backing you. If something happens, you know, name the peril, whatever it is, that happens to your crop and you're left with nothing or next to nothing come fall, you've got an insurance policy uh, claim coming your way that, that's going to help us uh, manage those, those forward marketing hedges or forward marketing sales. All right. Um, I guess let's do kind of like we do it with old crop. For new crop, Wade, what are, you, what are the keys to watch for the, you know, the, the crop that we're going to plant here this spring? As far as getting that priced, what are the keys that are going to influence that, the ability to price that grain, do you think? Well, in our opinion, um, we are firm believers in forward marketing. Um, we will continue to be that, that way. Uh, we look at a 30-year chart or a 15-year chart on corn and beans, and even after these last three bull market years, the charts still tell us forward marketing works better than, than post-harvest marketing. So we will continue that, um, that mentality as far as forward marketing, we're, we're firm believers in it, we will continue to do that. What we like to do is, is, is play the seasonals, play the seasonal patterns, and especially in corn. Um, corn has seasonality to it. Corn tends to, to trade higher February through June than it does, say, September through December, or you know, name the time frame. but seasonality, um, continues to, to hold true to this day, and, and we will continue to, to capitalize that uh, as far as our marketing plan. We, we forward market, we forward market uh, when history tells us to, and that's right now through June. Okay, uh, Darren, what about new crop grain marketing? Uh, what are you watching? What are gonna be the influences? All right, the, the, the biggest influences I see, okay, let's, let's keep an eye on the spreads. Are they gonna stay bullish? If we start to see them lose some of their luster, that means we've got more competition, we've got more concern, over you know new crop demand so that's certainly going to be an issue i'm also you know let's look at these weather patterns we've seen what looks to be a change here in late winter it's been dry for so long and now we're seeing storm after storm not only bash into the west coast but loop around and come back up through the midwest so this all fits in with you know some some presentations i saw over the course of the winter where it looked like the you know the u.s midwest not necessarily the plains uh, but much of the Midwest is going to see more, let's say, more beneficial weather this spring and summer. So, you know, if I'm looking at this from a marketing point of view, and I, let's say I've got it done, you know, last spring when we had those long-term tops put in place, great. You know, we, we can just ride that out for now. But if I'm still waiting to get some done, Wade's right. Seasonals are important. They're not the absolute. They're, they're a guide. They're not absolute. But we can certainly follow seasonal patterns and use that to our advantage. Look to get some locked in if we get some sort of weather scare. You know, we get, you know, everyone's asking me, will we ever see $6 corn again, these corn? 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen, and we, it could easily happen this spring and summer. It's not that far away. It's 30, 40 cents. That's 10 days worth of hot and dry. So, you know, it, it could happen, and we're going to have some better opportunities, but we're just going to want to take them when we get there because I do think long-term highs are in. Supply and demand is going to work itself out. It's not going to be as tight as it was, you know, the last two, three years. We are moving into that part of the cycle where, you know, supply and demand starts to loosen up. We've got to take advantage of the prices. All right, very good. So here, I, 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 hate, I don't want to say that we've lectured, but we've talked about a lot of things here over the last half hour or so. This is where I want it to become interactive. For the group that's here at the Triumph of Ag Show in, in, in Omaha, what questions do you have from the crowd? Okay, so the question has to do with what's going on in the Ukraine, because... Yeah, world demand. Uh, one example with Ukraine, when they were invaded, they had some grain on hand that they were able to still ship. It's a little different situation this year because uh, Ukraine has been involved in that conflict with Russia for a year, just over a year now. Is that going to be available? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great thing, that we, a great point that we have to keep in mind. You know, they did have some grain left over that was, that was in their ports, they were in the terminals and so on. They don't have that this year. They didn't have much harvest. They didn't get much wheat planted last fall. So, you know, we would think, okay, that's going to open that, 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 uh, that window of opportunity for the U.S. to make some exports the second half of this marketing year. We're just not seeing it. We're not seeing it being booked. We're not seeing the sales come up. Uh, you know, so we have to be, you know, there's a question mark attached. It's the same thing with wheat. Chicago wheat's just collapsed because there's no demand even though there was, you know, there's, there should be some demand coming because of the problem in Ukraine. I think we could still see it. Now, I'm not going to write it off completely, but this past year showed that the world supply and demand table has been redealt, and it has done so without increasing a great deal of demand from the United States. And I find that interesting. Again, there's two reasons. One, it's political. Two, the U.S. just doesn't have the grain to ship. If we get the grain to ship, will our exports follow and will we see more exports? That's a possibility. Wade, do you have any thoughts on Ukraine? How, how could that impact things moving forward? Yeah, I think, I think um, overall they, they are a player. They, they are a small player, in my opinion. Um, if you look back, you know, this, this bull market started in August of 2020. And what the catalyst was, was China buying U.S. corn in a big, big way. That's what kicked this whole thing off. Um, you know, we've had a lot of events since then, but that's, that's essentially what sparked this thing coming out of those COVID lows. Um, we've seen China buy, you know, some for last year, but here in the last, um, this marketing year, we, we just haven't seen them. We haven't seen them come to the, to the U.S. market to buy corn in, in a big way. It's, it's in my opinion, it's, it's certainly possible. I mean, they can make big chunks of, of, of purchases overnight and change this thing drastically. But right now, the trend is, um, you know, we're halfway through the marketing year and, and the trend is we will not do what we did last year as far as exports. Um, and it's gonna be, you know, somewhere between 25 and 35% behind last year, so. Okay, the question is, how bad does our relationship have to be with China before the soybean price completely evaporates? Well, it's not going to get any worse than it was between 2017 and 20. We pretty much know that. Um, and let's be honest, you have to feed people. When you have an authoritarian government, 
they don't like it when people get grumpy. You can shoot as many of them as you want, but they're still going to get grumpy. Um, so you've got to feed them. And so there are some things, there are some markets that have more inelastic demand than others. Soybeans is a great example. China really, really wanted that record crop out of Brazil this year. They didn't want to buy any soybeans. They didn't have to from the United States. It just won't stop raining, and so they have to keep buying. It's driving them nuts. They don't want to do it, but they have to. So as long as they have people to feed, as long as they have chickens to feed that then feed people, they're going to continue to buy from the United States. They want that record crop out of Brazil. They, they put all that money into the infrastructure, the roads, the ports, the rail, everything. They want to use that. They don't want to have to come from the U.S. For now, they're going to continue to buy what they have to buy. And only when Brazil's crop finally comes in, when Brazil's supplies finally get big enough, they can basically, the U.S. did become a secondary supplier in 2017-18. We know that. We can see it on a chart. We just fell off the map in, com in comparison to Brazil at that very point. We've stayed strong because Brazil's had some problems with their crops the last couple of years. And now this record crop can't get in because of the rain. Is it safe to say, though, it is, it's a push-pull? Even if they buy every single bean out of South America, does the rest of the world just go without, or do we become the do we become the, the grocery store for the rest of the world? Well, Wade put it best. I mean, he, you know, he talked about how, you know, we're not just talking about a small record here. We're, we're going from 130-some million metric tons up to 150, maybe more, million metric tons. So there's going to be plenty for some of the other, you know, stragglers around the world to go ahead and buy some Brazilian beans as well. Like I said, it's entirely possible the U.S. could be one of those in line to buy some Brazilian beans if our, if our supplies are as tight as they are and we need to replace some of Argentina's soybean meal shipments. We may be finding ourselves quietly, I might add, importing some beans into the East Coast for crushing and then shipped right back out. I wondered when somebody was going to bring that up. What do you think about our foreign relations plan, specifically with China? What could it impact that have? I think um, it certainly could have an impact. Um, you know, and if you're looking at what the fund activity has done in, in these last several trading sessions, you know, what they've done as, with their length, you know, I, I think the story plays into that. You know, if you were, were sitting in an office and you had a long position in soybeans or soy meal or soy, um, soy oil, and you've got tensions growing between China and Taiwan and U.S. Um, needs, you know, needs to export beans, you know, one direction or another, you know, that's, that's a story that will be closely monitored. So if something does happen, um, if our foreign relations with China is hurt once again, um, like Darren said, things tend to find a way to, to get where they need to go, whether it's Brazil uh, completely supplying the world's needs or whether it's uh, arbitrage through another country out of the U.S., you know, the, those storylines will uh, start to come out. But um, if our export program does take a, a significant hit, I, I see a crush um, expansion projects um, here in the U.S. here for our domestic demand that will probably more than make up for what we lose in, in export demand. So I think if you want to look at the, the bullish story versus the bearish story, yeah, the bearish China-Taiwan tensions, but we've got a bullish story that continues to develop and that's crush, uh, crush expansion here in the U.S. All right. We have time for one more question. Is there another question from the crowd as we wrap up? Yep. And uh, yeah, I think you guys alluded to it, sustainable aviation fuel. We've see, had a lot of announcements about crush 
expansion, uh, capacity expansion here in the United States. Is this going to be significant, Wade? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, so the biodiesel, you know, that's going to use your, your soybeans. Um, that's where you're going to see some demand go for your soybeans. The su sustainable aviation fluid or fuel, as, as far as I'm, or as far as I know, is, um, is going to be used from corn. So if you're looking at, you know, what does the landscape look with all the electric vehicles that are supposed to come online by 2030, 2040, all these projections coming out by Ford and GM, you know, where's our ethanol going to go? That's exactly where it's going to go. It's and if if the government backs this, if big oil backs this, um, you know Exxon Mobil companies like that, BP, if they back this, you know it could more than make up for for lost demand uh, in ethanol via ele uh, electric vehicles. Darren, what do you think about SAF? Yeah, you know, a couple of interesting points here. You're right. We're seeing more uh, in this re renewable, I believe the word is renewable diesel plants going, it's all the rage. We're seeing them going up everywhere for soybeans. And Wade's correct, that could make up some of the loss uh, in our exports. And if it's going towards aviation fuel, all the better. Now, I will put this in, as an owner of an electric mower, when those things die, you don't go anywhere. And I've been reading lately <laughs> about some possibility of making some EV airplanes. I don't want to ride in one right now. I would rather have it be on renewable diesel, let's put it that way. It might coast for a little while. A short time. A short time. <laughs> all the way Maybe to, just long enough. All the way to the ground, that's where it's going to get you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, would you give a big round of applause for our two experts here today, please? Again, we've been joined by uh, Darren Newsom. He's a senior market analyst with Bar Chart. Also, Wade Stevens, a grain market advisor with the ARC Group based in Lincoln. That'll wrap up this episode of Grain IQ Podcast here on the Rural Radio Network and again, a partner with the Nebraska Soybean Board. Thanks for listening. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Seclocha. It is written and edited by Alex Makovica. Our project manager is Bryce Tuskid. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.